You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Also, make sure to check us out on YouTube. Uh, we are simulcasting, I guess you could say, of these podcasts now. You could uh, watch us on YouTube or you can listen to us on Spotify, Google, uh, iTunes, whatever you use to listen to the podcast. Make sure to do that. And make sure, real quick, to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com because right now uh, the season is, is here. We have games week one, September 4th, Oregon versus Fresno State. All three of us will be there. Our game coverage is in full effect now. So you don't want to miss this 2021 football season. You can join for as low as $1 for your first month. All right, guys. um, Depth chart is out. First official depth chart of 2021 is out. Uh, First note I had, there are 17 ORs listed on this depth chart. Uh, There are multiple position battles to be figured out. We'll dive into those down the road. But ultimately, I think we were all curious to know who would win the quarterback battle. Mario Cristobal announced that on on Saturday that it would be Anthony Brown. And there is still some uncertainty of who that number two guy is. And we got some clarity of when they will hope to maybe make that decision by. Yep, chart still says or, or, or for the backup spot between all the freshmen. By the way, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Matt says 17 ors. Did you see – Okay, this is kind of behind, this for those listening. Some of you might find this interesting. Some of you might not. <laughs> I asked the site well, how many ores would be on the depth chart. Did you see what my response was? Did you say 19? 17. Ooh. Oh. Nailed it. Ooh. Nailed it. You nailed it. So Can we get the lottery numbers too? Um, You're yeah. dialed in there, Eric. I'm so, I'm, well, it comes down to depth chart ors. Go full down. Remember that. Depth chart ors. Putting put that on my Twitter uh, handle. Um, no, but in terms of, in terms of the quarterback at the backup spot, yeah, still no no change there. We still don't have a name as like a for sure, for sure backup. Um, what we do know is that they want to get this figured out. This is going to go into this week here. Um, I asked specifically about do they want to see game reps for these guys, and uh, didn't get a clear answer because Mario made sure to point out that they're not thinking about playing backup quarterbacks because they expect Fresno State to be a very good team. Wish I would have asked that question slightly differently, not to give him the opportunity to do that and just use the second part of the question, which he ignored, which is what more do they need to see and when do they want to have a timeline? But alas, here we are. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the hope is that they have an idea going into the game, but I'm not sure if we're going to know one way or the other until we get there. Cause it's not like we're going to get an updated depth chart and Mario's never going to actually, <laughs> the joke we have. That's a running about- joke here. This is a running joke. Is, is he always, when he doesn't give us information, he goes, and I'll get that to you guys very soon. And he's O for like a 3,000. <laughs> ever getting us anything. So it's a very hollow promise. Uh, I'm sure we'll learn uh, at, at the game on Saturday, maybe. But like, I don't know if we're going to know for sure um, until maybe next week. Yeah, sure, honestly. It'd be a big shock, right, Jared? If uh, a backup quarterback does not enter this game against Fresno State, like if they need Anthony Brown all the way through, like I understand – UConn was shut out by Fresno State's defense, but UConn is worse than like half the FCS schools out there. Um, not to diminish anything that Fresno State did, but it'd be a big disappointment, right? Oh, 100%. 
you don't you don't want Anthony Brown to be in there all four quarters. Like he he deserves to to get out of there and get some rest and then hopefully give either whoever the number two quarterback is some time and just some game action so they can really see what these guys are capable of. Because I think that's what Mario and company are probably waiting for is just real live action. And you see it enough in camp and everything like that. But once it gets to a game with the crowd, I think we'll really be able to tell who has solidified that number two job. I still think it's going to end up being Ty Thompson, but we'll find out. And uh, by the way, that was the question I was trying to ask Mario today that did not get an answer. I love how you're uh, trying to whisper that in. Keep over you, Matt. Getting closer. (laughs) Uh, Other notes on the depth chart: there are three true freshmen listed as a starter or co-starter on this depth chart. Three true freshmen from the best class in school history, uh, the 2021 recruiting class. I think that speaks to a the ability to stack elite classes onto elite classes because you could argue that there are four or five other guys on this team that would start as true freshmen four years ago, five years ago uh, for this Oregon football team. Those three that did get listed as co-starters or full-time starters, uh, receiver Troy Franklin, tight end Maliki Matavao, uh, and then punt returner Seven McGee. McGee is a third string running back on this team. Uh, and a three-way tie for that group, but he is listed as a co-starter at punt returner. Um, surprise, it's only three, or is that right about right? I don't think I'm like super surprised it's three. I mean, I was trying to think about because we did we we over the weekend we should say, and I think this is good content for those who want to look at. We made predictions on which true freshman would not redshirt, and I think that's a good story to go look at. I was confident it'd be a lot of guys. I don't know if thinking about that because we went through the exercise and I was thinking about all these guys. I don't think I had too many other guys I expected could start. Yeah. Uh, so sort of about what we expected. Maybe the biggest surprise for me is Troy Franklin. No, or he's just a straight up starter at X um, that just speaks to his development. And then the fact that I don't, and I don't know if this is just alphabetical or not, but how about Isaiah Crocker above Devin Williams, apparently at the yeah. X spot that, that was pretty significant. Um, and then just in terms of the other, the freshman we're talking about, kind of like the fact that they split the tight end position into an F and a Y tight end. So I think the F is more of your guy you're going to split out wide a little bit. That's where Spencer Webb and Terrence Ferguson are listed. Yeah. And the Y is more maybe kind of inline blockers. They'll do both, obviously. But and that's where you have Matavajo, which Matt mentioned, DJ Johnson and, and Cam McCormick. So um, lo- love seeing seven McGee at punt returner. I think he's going to be really dynamic back there. Also listed, um, I think, with Micah Pittman. Yeah, I think. Um, real quick, looking at it from a kick returner standpoint, Mikhail Wright and Chris Hudson are listed as the co-starters. I, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually Mikhail Wright is removed from that role. Um, and then I also wouldn't be surprised if from a pure perspective of, hey, let's prevent injuries. Let's have McGee be the full-time punt returner. If he can handle that so that you don't have Pittman back there, um, risk of injury. I just I I just think you you've got freshmen and it sounds cold, but some of these guys are are going to be able to be out there, and if they get hurt, you can slide somebody else in. Whereas if you lose Mikhail Wright, you're you're in a tough spot. So tough. I think it's a tough situation though, because I also go. I don't know if there's another player on the team who's more dynamic in that position, and you'd sure love to have that. On about seven? Player. Maybe I just haven't seen it. You yeah. Know? I mean, we, we like seven McGee a lot, but Mikhail Wright has two kickoff returns for a touchdown. Um, 
set up a game-winning touchdown with a long or field goal, I guess, against Washington State with a long return. We've seen him do it, and and you'd certainly like to see him on the field and at least involved uh, in as many areas as possible. Aside the possibility, again, the, the, the issue is you don't want to get him hurt. Right. That's the only thing I would be wary of. I, I think if, if, if you're 100% certain he's not going to be hurt, which, of course, he can't be, he has to be out there as much as possible. You want him with the ball in his hands. He's so dynamic. But if it becomes a thing of you're concerned about that, or I think the thing Mario said was it was a wind deal in terms of he just was kind of – he lost some wind because he was playing so many downs on defense and he was tired and had a hard time getting out there and trying to run the ball back 100 yards. That's the concern. That's one thing. But if it's just who's the most talented guy, he, he should be out there in my opinion. Oh, yeah. He's hands down the best. I do think that Seven can do a, do a decent job back there. I actually think Seven would be better as just a pure punt returner. I think his, like, elusiveness and agility was, is better than Michael's. But Michael Wright's top-end speed is probably the best on the team. It's scary. But, yeah. Matt, to answer your original question of, you know, like, do you expect any more freshmen to start? No. Not yet, at least. This is still just week one step chart. Right. I could see a couple guys making a case later, but Troy Franklin has been that guy and he's continuing to be that guy. Um, Maliki Matavao, he's been the best of the bigger tight ends because Terrence Ferguson is the other freshman tight end, but he's 20 pounds lighter. Uh, Spencer Webb is listed as 20 pounds lighter on the depth chart, although in person it doesn't really seem like that, yeah. but they definitely have a different type of skill set. Like Spencer Webb and Ferguson are people who could. I, uh, even stand up on the line. They don't even have to get down into it, like in the tight end on the, on the as like the six offensive lineman. But uh, Maliki and then seven, like I was saying, I think he he could be dynamic in fielding kicks or punts, whatever it be, or even running halfback screens, maybe out in the slot every once in a while. But for now, those three freshmen, yeah, they deserve to be listed as a starter or you know a potential starter down the road. Sure. One point I want to just make real quick, and then we can keep going, Matt. Sorry, is just do we do we think I think Troy Franklin might be the Pac-12 Offensive Rookie of the Year, Freshman of the Year. We haven't really talked about it, but mm. like he's going to be one of Oregon's starting receivers on a really high-profile offense. And if he wins, I could see him having a big year. And Oregon wins a lot of football games, and he gets a lot of postseason notoriety. Just I'm trying to think, is there a freshman quarterback that could be starting somewhere across the conference? Um, I don't think there is. Uh, or- I don't know what your Colorado starter might be like. A, I mean, they, and maybe he can he's, he wins because he's a red shirt. But it's a deal where it's it's also like it, okay, there could be a true there could be a freshman that that starts at quarterback somewhere else. But are they going to be good? Like I don't think yeah. Colorado's quarterback is going to win freshman of the year be, just because he starts at the position. So that, that's a good question. Like it's going to take. I mean, Bridges is or not trackless Bridges. Uh, Troy Franklin's going to need to come out and like go for 800 yards receiving. I guess that's the question. Like, do you, do you think Troy Franklin emerges as like your number one, number two, maybe I'm really pushing it here. Like number three leading receiver, like it's almost got to be one or two on the team. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I wonder if the depth's going to like hurt him because they're not going to throw the ball like USC does 60 times a game. Um, and then with the depth that Oregon has, they're just going to keep guys fresh all the time. I, I, one thing I'll say is I have doubted Franklin a little bit throughout this. I never thought he'd be a, a day one starter. looks like he's going to be that. I never thought he'd be as dynamic as he was in the spring game, and he was. So I'm not going to doubt the fact that he could go out and have a really fantastic season. He's a big-time recruit for a reason, and, and 
clearly has shown he can make some some plays. I mean, I, again, I, my big surprise in this whole depth chart was that he was there's no or behind him at receiver. Yeah. I really thought that there'd be more, and there's not, and he clearly won this job outright. Position battles yet to be decided. We already talked about quarterback. We kind of t- talked a little bit about the tight end spots. Um, but right tackle is one um, in which we're still figuring out things. And, uh, Jared, you're, you're going to be writing something on DuckTerritory.com about this. You've watched the offensive line the most out of all three of us here. Um, just how does this play out in, in your eyes? Yeah, so on the chart, it's Stephen Jones is – the, the starter and then there's or and it's Malasala. I don't want to butcher his last name, so I just <laughs> I'm going to assume everybody knows who we're talking about. Eric, you got it. Just call him Big Sala. There you go, Big Sala. Big Sala is the or. Um, Big Sala was kind of hurt during fall camp for for portions of it, so he didn't get his time. But you know, last year he played a lot. He was a starter for most games. Uh, I think I'm a little surprised to see Stephen Jones listed as the right tackle and not left tackle because he'd been working a decent bit on both sides. And I thought he would just naturally kind of slide over to left tackle and Oregon would put George Moore at right. But this is how it's lined up. Again, it's the first first week, so it might change. But, yeah, I think that'll still be a positional battle over the course of the week. If Big Saul is healthy and Stephen Jones is healthy, I'd, I would, I'd pay money to see that competition going on because both those guys are extremely talented. But for the rest of the offensive line, I don't think anything is – uh, particularly out of out of what we expected. Uh, Jonathan Dennis, Chris Mario Cristobal mentioned today that he's hurt and that he could be out a while, I believe, was his terminology. So with Cristobal, that could be two weeks or it could be three months. His career could be sure. over. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? That would be a while. It's, that's that happened last year. There was a guy last year who was hurt and he'd be back soon and then he medically retired. Uh, now, obviously, we're joking in the wrong manner. And obviously, we hope John right. Dennis isn't back. But yeah, uh, the uncertainty there uh, is interesting. And Will Linebacker, um, Drew Mathis, and Justin Flo both have oars. Um, kind of surprised by that. I, I was expecting Flo. I think Flo is a starter, but like last year, with this, I feel like Drew Mathis is just the. This is an annual thing with him. If he has eligibility next year, I'm sure they'll find a way to keep this going, where he's just a <laughs> starter. But we know he's not going to start because, and it's Drew, it's Drew and and Justin, and everybody knows Justin Flo is arguably going to be, I don't know, one of the most talented linebackers to ever play at Oregon. I mean, like that's like hyperbole, but it doesn't feel like it. I mean, there's so much enthusiasm, the top rated linebacker recruit that ever signed. Um, but again, Drew Mathis, veteran guy, it's been around a little bit. He's played. He's probably like six years older than Justin. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit exaggerating it, but not too much. Let's put it this way: he might be older than you, Jared. Uh, would you be surprised if we did, I think? Because I think he took a year off of junior college too. He's probably older than me, yeah. So, um, but the point the point I'm making is like, I'm not super surprised that they put it this way. I would be very surprised if the play on the field on Saturday backs up the fact that this is actually an open competition or that there's really a back and a push and a pull here. Cause ultimately flows flow. We know what he is, or we think we know what he is. And if he's as advertised, he has to start. He has to play 85, 90% of your downs. Two other positions on the defense that have battles. They're going to play out into the, this week, um, the Sam linebacker spot, Mace Funa, Adrian Jackson. I don't think there's much of a surprise there. Um, boundary corner, 
is the other one which we knew about going in. TriQuest Bridges, Dante Manning, whoever emerges there as a starter, the guy that doesn't will still play quite a bit. Um, maybe the biggest surprise, place kicker, uh, Henry Cavillman is the second name on the list. Camden Lewis is the first, and they're both listed as co-starters. Hey, this could get I'm, – I'm, re- I'm reacting the way I assume everyone in the fan base is reacting right now, where I put my hands on my head like, I, this isn't what we wanted to see. At the same time, Mario made the point that Lewis has had a fantastic fall, and then he's really challenged Henry Cattleman. Um, we made the point before, Camden Lewis could very easily – Got transferred. up and transferred, and he's still hanging around for a reason. And clearly mm-hmm. part of that is he thinks he can win this job. So um, I'd hate to I, – I'm sorry, I should say I'd love to be wrong, and, and but I just – I don't – I think kind of we know what Camden Lewis is right now, and he just hasn't been good enough. And maybe he's made huge strides, and, and maybe there's like some sort of mental block he's had to deal with because everybody talks about how he's so much better in practice in terms of then in games he sort of struggles. Maybe there's – something he's been working through mentally and he gets to a place here where the consistency he shows in practice follows through into the weekend. But I'll put it this way. If, if they get up into a situation against Fresno state and it's a 30, I don't know, any distance of field goal and it's Camden Lewis instead of Henry Cattleman out there against Fresno state. I, I, if well, he misses, well, I'm just, that's, I'm, that's the thing. Yeah. I would just say if he comes out above Cattleman and is the first kicker to kick, there won't be booze, but there are going to be people in the stands probably t- turning what? to the next door person saying, what the hell are we that's doing? Yeah. Yeah. Cattleman, if he misses, that's, Barley, that's where I feel like the fan base could really get bad. Yeah, if, real quick. Yeah. If he misses his first kick and it's over Henry Cattleman, that's where it gets dicey. Um, and, I, I, and look, I, I, we're kind of being critical of a college kid, but – like I also feel I'm gonna feel bad for him too at the same time. Like he's and he, he's gonna be put in that position. And if he misses, you know, the fan base could be pretty harsh, unfortunately, on him, which is unfair. Um, the things that will be said to him, but it's probably gonna happen, unfortunately. Well, and could I, just to just to wrap up the Camden thing, from a personal level, having spoken to him a couple times in 19, yeah. really nice kid. And and honestly, you could tell he was aware of all the outside noise. I think he was asked directly about it and Similar to what Ryan Walk said this past week, we spoke with him kind of similar things where the fan base is maybe kind of hoping you're not out there. What's that like? Both of them gave kind of the same answer. You just have to block it out and focus on your own stuff. And mm-hmm. for Camden, maybe that's taken place and he's going to take a huge strides. I hope so. Again, I, I, I love every interaction I've had with him. He's a really nice kid, clearly cares a lot about this and the program or else he wouldn't be here. Um, so maybe I'm being too critical of him. I think just objectively, though, he's 12 for 18 as a field goal kicker and as long as 39 yards. And Henry Cadman, I think, is four for four with a yeah. long of in the 40s. I think it's like 45. So um, it's just from what we've seen in game, it's hard to really understand why you'd go that route. But maybe practice is telling us something totally different. I don't know. Real quick, running back. We know who starts. They're co-starters, Travis Dye, C.J. Verdell, C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye who the third running back is, is still being decided as well. That's, that's the norm. Jared, was there one of the three, they're, they're, they're all freshmen here, Benson, Cardwell, McGee. Was there one of those guys that really stood out to you most? Uh, I mean, McGee stood out, but I think his skill set isn't necessarily in line with what Oregon would like to do at the running back position. I think Byron Cardwell is the third guy. And I say that 
because he's he's built very similar to CJ Verdell. However, he's taller. He's listed at six feet. Um, he's impressed so far during fall camp. Uh, he had two scores in the second scrimmage. Uh, he's a hard runner, but I think Trey Benson's another name to watch, but I just don't know if he's hundred percent healthy. Yeah. He hasn't been during fall camp. He has, he said he was 95% healthy, which is getting there. But when you watch him run, it's just not, it's just not like he's going hundred percent. And he had a terrible knee injury. He basically tore everything in his knee. He told us one day after practice, and I, I completely understand if the coaching staff is holding him off and not letting him get to 100 or not letting him go 100%. But for right now, I think Byron Cardwell is the, the first guy after Die and Verdell to get a carry. Uh, just, just a couple thoughts on that. Um, is it just, is it, do we think the order then is just alphabetical? Because Benson is listed ahead of Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee. I but do. They look above it. it could and, be. I, I well, think they, it's alphabetical. I don't think so because then you look right above it unless unless they're really tipping their hand here because then it's Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford right above it and then you scroll down and it's it, you don't have to look very hard to realize it's not alphabetical order because it's Matavajo, DJ Johnson, Cam McCormick. So, I'm thinking specifically just for running back. I, I don't. I mean, maybe I I just I don't see any evidence of that. So I I'm just gonna I'm basing I don't know maybe maybe I'm totally going nuts over here. I think Trey Benson's their their first guy and I. I think we haven't seen practice in about 10, 15 days or so. And I think a lot can change in that time. And Mario was asked to trade up about Trey Benson last week and gave, I would say, about as encouraging an answer about an injured player I've, I've ever heard him give and, and basically said he's not been a partial participant the last 10 days and he's really stood out. So I'm in the tra- – if we're going to just jump in on who we think number three is, I'm fully in the Trey Benson camp. I'm entirely immersed physically in it. Uh, my body is, is soaked in it. I'm like a Han Solo in Whoa, Where are we going here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, I have a great line. You, you cut me off. I'm, I'm Han Solo in Carbonite. I'm, I'm fully. I don't blame Matt for cutting you off. Oh. I'm, ready, I'm ready to go. So uh, no, I think I I, I go I go Benson over. <clears throat> Let's Matt, move. Who's your pick? We gotta we gotta cut this off. Um, or one one right now. You gotta pick. I'll Whoa. go seven. I like it. We all want someone a different angle. Yeah. I, I, I think seven's ability. They've got kind of that power runner and, and Verdell dies kind of uh, a multi-talented guy. And then I, th- I think seven's the best home run hitter on the team. So I, I think you put your home run hitter at, as, as the third guy. So that's, that's where I would land. We'll see you on Saturday. We'll see you on Saturday. Although I think all three of them now play. So I also think that's true. Mm-hmm. Let's shift gears over to Fresno State. Um, we've also got some information uh, and some time to speak with Crystal Ball, uh, Tim DeRuiter, the defensive coordinator, uh, Joe Moorhead, Oregon's offensive coordinator, just about preparing for their week one opponent. Um, Crystal Ball was very high on these guys. Uh, Tim DeRuiter was very high on Fresno State's offense. And look, when, when you put up 40, 45 points a game, you're going to turn some heads. Um, Jake Hayner, their quarterback, threw for over 330 yards in, in the first half. Uh, really good stuff from them week one, even though it was against UConn. Um, this coaching staff, though, guys, was, was pretty complimentary of Fresno State and in particular uh, their offense. Yeah, no, uh, Tim DeRuiter had a lot to, a lot of good things to say about their offense. Uh, you know, it starts with Jake Hayner at the top quarterback, former Washington Husky. 
he was lights out in the first half. I mean, he, he didn't play the second half. He had some cramping issues, but like Matt said, he threw for over 330 yards and had three touchdowns and a half, which is great. No matter who you're doing it against. I know it's UConn, but then the rushing attack with Ronnie Rivers, he's another great running back and they have, they have, you know, they have good talent for Fresno state. Jalen Cropper is another one had power five offers from the PAC 12. Yeah, this will be a legitimate offense. And I know, and I, I believe Tim, De, Tim DeRuiter is very well aware of that. And I think he's going to be preparing the defense to, as if they're facing a, a lower level Pac-12 school. I mean, this is someone, this is a team that you can't really sleep on. And I think the coaching staff is very well aware of that. It was pretty clear to me based upon the answers given and the way they just kind of received the, the questions we asked and kind of stepped forward with them that, they're being very careful to not, and this happens most, this is kind of the way the staff usually works under Mario, but they're very, very complimentary. And yeah. the whole focus is on these, this team. And I don't want to say that they wouldn't be, actually, I, I go back a couple of years, Mario was asked something about an upcoming opponent. And he basically said, I'm, I'm always going to compliment the opponent. I think this was something like circa 18 or 19. Um, because when, when I have nothing going on on a Friday night, I go watch old media interviews of Mario Cristobal because who else? <laughs> Everybody's Friday night. That's, 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 that's just about as good as it gets for, for the Eric Scopel over here. Um, but, so, but everything that was said was extremely flattering of Fresno State. And the truth of what this game is probably going to be is going to be somewhere probably in the middle. Um, I don't think Fresno State's – like. Ohio State or Alabama, I think you're going to see a very stark difference between opponent from game one to two. Sure. But Mario Cristobal and the staff certainly speaks about Fresno State like they're a team that's capable of not just competing with them, but of beating them. And that was why I think Mario was so quick when I asked, hey, what's the uh, what's the plan of the back of quarterbacks? Do you want to get some of them in the games? He goes, no, we're not even thinking that way because we're planning on winning the football game. And why, you know, when I ask Joe Moorhead, uh, does the fact that the defense of Fresno State shut out UConn and held them to like a hundred yards. Is that something that maybe catches your guys' attention? And he says, yeah, it catches our attention, but the focus doesn't change because we're already so focused on this team. So I, I think there's a lot of nice things being said. I think Fresno state will be a challenge. I also think you should probably read some of these quotes and, and not, yeah, not get too freaked out or scared in your britches about some things that are being said about an opponent that was picked to finish third in the mountain West I think North division. So um, lots of positive things said. I think you can also kind of realize some of them are a little coach speak. Um, Ronnie Rivers, their running back, he became the program's all-time leader in career touchdowns with 45 um, when he scored uh, a touchdown off a pass against UConn. Also, um, he became the program's all-time leader in career pass receptions by a running back. He has 118 in his career. Um, I, I think that's going to be one of the big keys of this game is – whether it's Ronnie Rivers or another running back, they they had like three running backs catch passes out of the backfield. It really feels like it's kind of what Tim DeRuiter said was everything starts with Ronnie Rod Rivers and can you stop their their two-way threat at that position? I would I think he's almost as dynamic as a pass catcher as a as he is as a runner in the backfield. And I would expect against Oregon based upon Oregon's front. And I think we think that Oregon should win at the line of scrimmage frequently that you're going to see Rivers be most impactful um, out of the backfield as a receiver as opposed to as a runner. I'm not saying he's not going to like have 
have he shoot he might have a break a 40 or 50 yard run he might have a long touchdown or something mm-hmm. but i think overall you're going to look at the day and go okay oregon kept him largely in check but the pass catching stuff is the part where i get a little bit like okay that's a challenge that oregon hasn't faced a lot in the last couple of years is a running back who's really dynamic as a receiver um, i know they've had examples of that i know there have been some running backs in this conference that have challenged them in that way um but I think he's someone to certainly keep an eye on from that regard. And I think a lot of what Fresno State is going to do offensively is really get their guys in space. And that's where I think the athletic advantages Oregon has comes into play and, and probably makes it so it's not a 45 to nothing Fresno State win on Saturday. Right. Yeah, it, it, it'll be a good game. It'll be a good offense to watch. Uh, Rivers didn't have a – if you just go by the numbers against UConn, he didn't have a great day rushing. But then again, like half of his offensive line went out with cramping. So they weren't running their first string all game long. But yeah, he's an electric pass catcher. He's certainly where uh, he's certainly a potential mismatch almost every time he lines up. And Oregon's linebackers or whoever they choose to put on him will have you know, will have a hard time all day long, you know, defending him out of the backfield and keeping him in coverage. But I think Oregon's personnel is is going to be just fine for this matchup. It's significantly better than UConn. Um, UConn's tackling was also abominable against Fresno State. Good Lord. But, uh, you know, it's the first game of the season for Oregon. So they have to go out there and and perform as they have in practice and how we've heard that they've been doing and, you know, try to right their wrongs from last year. Fresno State's defense um, against UConn allowed just 1.8 yards per play. It's their lowest total since 2007 when they did that against Sacramento State. Um, They also had their first touchdown uh, of the season came from the defensive side of the football, which is the first time since 2004 at Washington. Um, When that happened, uh, this defense against UConn's abysmal offense, we should note, like Jared said, forced 11 punts, two turnovers on downs, and a fumble in 14 total possessions. And they were led by first-year Bulldogs, uh, Elijah Gates and Tyson Mavea, uh, for tackles, which, you know, I think Crystal Ball noted they've done a really good job recruiting Pac-12 talent out of the high school ranks and they've done a really good job of going out and landing transfer talent. And I think that was one of the biggest things that all three coaches mentioned of is that, while I think all three of us agree that this team is not, is not equal to Oregon. They're better than what your typical mountain West conference team looks like. Yeah. I, I, I did a story on the site and I will do this every week. So get used to it. I'm actually going to do a series of stories called know the foe, which is just kind of educating the fans as best I can on some things. Monday is always going to be five players to know. And I put that out there today. And one of those players I mentioned was a PAC 12 transfer. Um, Elijah Gates was a part-time starter for UCLA the last couple of years at free safety. Um, I think led the Bruins a year ago in interceptions, former four star recruit already making impacts, led the team in tackles against UConn on Saturday He's, one, again, one of four from the Pac-12 that are on the roster this year. Ty Jones caught a touchdown pass. He was at Washington before. Another highly regarded recruit. Um, I think his name Evan Bennett is a defensive lineman from Oregon State. Jordan Wilmore was another big-time recruit from Utah who has transferred over and is uh, spelling Ronnie Rivers and I'm sure is their long-term kind of 
um, replacement for him. So it's a team that does have some talent. And then you mentioned it. Hayner is a quarterback transfer who was from Washington originally. There are multiple other players I haven't mentioned who also started out at Pac-12 schools but didn't transfer just recently. Um, it's a team that is, again, it's not a Pac-12 level team. It's not even the best Mountain West roster, but it's certainly an above ever above average FBS opponent. And again, like the coaches have said all week, and I think you do have to you have to be prepared and ready because this is not this is not UConn. And if it was UConn, they'd be talking about UConn like they were better than they are. But this is not a bottom feeding FBS team. This is a team that will probably be bowl eligible and, and pushing at least to win their division in the Mountain West. Jared, how much stock do you put into the fact that Fresno State will have some sort of an advantage because they played a game week zero and Oregon will not have a game under their belt coming to this one? I put some stock into it for sure. I don't know how much I do. Uh, Does it make this game like closer in the first half than it, than it should be? In the first half, yeah, I think it does. I think Fresno State will just have a bit more of a rhythm coming out of the gates because they're used to it comparatively. Uh, yeah, a full game under their system. They played as many of their ones as possible until all the cramping has happened. So they're so it's it's pseudo like they played a first game, but a lot of those guys are going to be coming back and like again almost playing the second half of their first game. So it, it'll be an advantage for them, but I'm. Uh, I'm thinking that it'll kind of wear off after Oregon gets into a couple of drives and gets some rhythm going on offense. Do you, is there anything of concern for you, Eric, on that? I don't, I think it matters maybe in the first half. It might keep the score a little closer than it should, but Oregon should still pull away. The only comment that was said to did, I think, stood out was not even all that, I guess, significant of one because you hear it a lot, but is something that Drew said, which is you see the biggest improvements from a team from game one to two. That is what we are seeing now for Fresno State. Game one against UConn, game two against Oregon, which is, again, why you schedule a game zero week before you play a top 10 or a borderline top 10 team, which is what Fresno has done. So um, do I think it's the difference in the outcome of the game? Absolutely not. Oregon, I, I would be floored if Oregon doesn't win this game. Obviously, I think Oregon's going to win the game pretty handily. But, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a difference in the game being a little more competitive um, in general. But, like, I, I at, the same, at the end of the day, talent is talent, and – scheme is scheme and it doesn't matter to me that much if some of that talent has a little bit more recent history of playing or that the scheme has been able to maybe run through some kinks in a mop-up game against UConn I just don't take a ton away from that honestly like if UConn had challenged Fresno State more and UConn was actually a good team and Fresno State had kind of had to take some lumps and kind of learn from it that would probably concern me more in fact they won at 145 to nothing um, that means they probably didn't learn all that much I mean they learned some things that worked but they didn't really like UConn. It's like it's totally apples and oranges, even comparing the two opponents yeah. playing. So it's just it's really hard for me to think that like, hey, Fresno State beat UConn forty-five nothing. Now they're going to go and really challenge Oregon and actually beat them or something. I just think that's that's a, that's a big step for me. Mm-hmm. It's going to do it for us here on the Awesome Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching the show. Make sure to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. One dollar for your first month. Uh, we are humming along as best we can, and it's pretty darn good, I have to say, even though we're all three biased here. Um, a lot of people have joined up. We're at an all-time high from a subscription standpoint, so that tells you what's going on. Duck fans are, are going to duckterritory.com, and you want to be there with them uh, for this 2021 football season. Until we talk to you again, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.
Peace. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.